So, Jamie, we've been thinking about making some changes to the cast. Obviously, we're redoing the studios again over the winter period when all the interns are away. And I thought we'd also do redo RPG. Uh, the lights are on an RPG corner. Did you leave the lights on an RPG corner again, Jamie? You know, I didn't. I put the fire out whenever I leave. Good health and safety management. Oh, hello there. Hi, Ian, Jamie. Do you guys record every day now? I'm ready when you are. Uh, uh, every uh, what, what? What do you mean, Oliver? You um, you haven't been on the cast. Uh, I ooh. a year, something like that. Maybe, maybe. it's been a while. I don't a know. While? Ages. No, 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 no. It was only yesterday that we recorded. At least that's how it feels. Did you, did you go down to the basement after the record at all, Oliver? By the way, it's very bad. Don't don't go down to the basement. Uh, oh, the door was open, so just had to look. That that is a problem. There are some space time issues within the brainwaves HQ at times, and it looks like you're kind of you know right. So so what Ian is trying to stuck. say, um, what what Ian is, I think he's trying to say, um, what I'm interpreting it as is you've kind of jumped forward in time, and I honestly can't remember. Were you sitting here uh, last time we recorded? Uh, yeah, well, I've been here reading your lovely RPG books and having a nice cup of tea. It's just so cozy in the RPG corner. Well, well, we can move the studio in here a little bit, I guess. We've got well, there's a little studio room next door. We'll go in there and we'll get we'll get started. Oh, cool! You're here. You might as well help out, right? You know, yeah. Well, well, you know, you've been, you've been reading my books and drinking my tea, so go pay your way <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I was going to say. Hello everyone, I'm Ian McAllister. I'm Jamie Adams. And I'm Oliver Kinner. This is Brainwaves episode 111, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 28th of November 2022. Hasbro loses the magic. Pandasaurus games act like dinosaurs. Embracer considers letting go. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Hasbro has long been a big player in the world of games, coming second only to the behemoth that is Asmodee. It has looked very healthy for the last few years, but now it seems that some of that luster is starting to fade. A Bank of America analyst, Jason Haas, says Hasbro is destroying the long-term value of Magic the Gathering by overprinting cards. This came alongside a downgrade of Hasbro's stock from buy to underperform. Hasbro has been emphasizing the value of Wizards of the Coast to its business with the rise in Dungeons & Dragons. According to Haas, Magic accounts for 15% of Hasbro's annual revenue and 35% of its annual earnings. Sales of Magic the Gathering doubled over the course of the pandemic. One of the issues Haas sees is that, I'm quoting from him, Magic has grown primarily by extracting more revenue from each player rather than by trying to grow its player base. Haas continues, The increased supply has crashed secondary market prices, which has caused distributors, collectors, and local game stores to lose money on Magic. As a result, we expect they'll order less product in future releases. He goes on to note that some retailers are already selling the latest expansion, Brothers War, below the break-even point, and that, while Magic has a dedicated and sticky fanbase, we're concerned that continued overproduction of cards and declining secondary market values could push players and collectors into other trading card games, such as Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Flesh and Blood. Now, we're not done with Hasbro quite yet. 
Hasbro recently sought to bring back the classic board game HeroScape on their own crowdfunding platform, HasLab. This was a new version of the game with the designer of the original HeroScape, Craig Van Ness, at the helm. They were seeking 8,000 backers, shelling out $250 apiece to raise the money to bring the game back. They had threatened that they wouldn't bring the game to market if it didn't fund, and that seems to be exactly what is happening. The campaign finished out at 4,353 backers out of the 8,000 needed. Hasbro said of the campaign, As of the deadline for the HeroScape Age of Annihilation Vanguard Edition HasLab project, we are short of the goal needed to start production on this wonderful game. As we said during the campaign, if this project doesn't meet its goal, we won't be able to produce Age of Annihilation. That has not changed. HeroScape as a project will be shelved, and there are no current plans to attempt a resurrection at this time. The Avalon Hill team will refocus our efforts on the exciting games we currently have coming soon, such as the next HeroQuest game system expansion, Mage of the Mirror, or the upcoming Yawning Portal D&D strategy board game. But wait, there's more! Hasbro own entertainment company E1, who are bringing the Dungeons & Dragons film to the screen in the not-too-distant future, and who we've reported on a couple of times on the cast as bringing board games to TV. They are currently considering selling this company. Chris Cox, CEO of Hasbro, said, Following our recent investor day when we introduced our new branded entertainment strategy, Blueprint 2.0, we received inbound interest from several parties for the part of the E1 television and film business that, while valuable, is not core to our go-forward strategy. This interest informed our decision to explore a sales process. Hasbro originally acquired E1 in 2019 as part of a $4 billion all-cash transaction. So there you go. Hasbro sounds like a company in the middle of a bit of an identity crisis or just a general crisis. It feels to me like if they wanted to bring back HeroScape, they just could do that. Well, they could, but remember, it is a great deal of plastic. and That's true. In, and I'm guessing, depending on what they sell, depending on how they think it would be received, they could end up selling that at a massive loss. Because if, like other games, like we've seen like with Conan, with from yeah. Monolith games, that you have just tons of plastic just sitting around, not getting sold, just sitting there and... Let's be honest, most of that is cashing in on nostalgia. It's, $250 is a big buy-in. That is a yeah. huge buy-in yeah. as well. What was the Hero Quest? I don't think even the Hero Quest buy-in was that much. I don't think it was, no. No. But again, that's Hero Quest, which is cardboard and plastic. True, true. Yeah, I mean, it is. Which, and which admittedly, yeah, not, all all Hero, down, much. not all of Hero Escape is plastic but it is big chunky plastic yeah but the board is as well like it's not like on a cardboard board if you've never seen heroes gate folks it's like so it basically you can make the terrain and the terrain is a plastic thing that you sort of click together to make your terrain thing it, it looks really cool but like jamie says it's a lot of plastic any thoughts oliver yeah no i just i just don't know why they keep going down the sort of crowdfunding platform idea of getting so many people to sign up and just say look you know we need that many orders and do it as a pre-order rather than sort of this all nonsense crowdfunding of this. And as you say, you know, if they do want to get the game out, just get the game out. I'm sure they've got plenty of money sitting there. Or maybe they haven't. And maybe that's why we have all these sort of strange news coming out of Hasbro and all the concerns. So, yeah, obviously something going on. Um, and the sale of E1, maybe, again, there's a sort of cash flow issue or something happening. Who knows? Yeah, maybe a bit Absolutely. of liquidity problem. Potentially, I think why they're not doing it just straight to retail again with the crowdfunding style method, it's guaranteed sales, guaranteed units, guaranteed for what a better phrase, capital. They know they'll get that. Putting it out there for such a big thing for two hundred and fifty with two hundred fifty dollars. Did you say, Ian? Yeah, two hundred fifty dollars. Two hundred fifty dollar buy-in. And that, that was the only pledge level. You couldn't pledge anything else. 
$250 at that pledge level, that's the only buy-in. You've got to be serious. You know, you've got to be absolutely certain. And then there's a secondary market. But I don't think they could justify that putting it out to retail, even Hasbro. Yeah. I want to go back very quickly to what we were talking about with uh, what you were talking about with Magic the Gathering as well. Because I was talking with a member of our Discord and a friend of mine, Craig, uh, and you mentioned the overprinting. Now, he is a big Magic the Gathering fan. I, I, I've never touched it, not even once. That's, you know, my choice. Um, his, his way of describing it was overprinting sounds like they produce too much stock. The issue is oversaturation of new products, as was said. But to give some numbers to that, there's been five standard Magic the Gathering sets this year, plus three supplemental sets. Yeah, when I first were getting into gaming, it was like three or four sets a year, maybe, was Magic, yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot of cards drowning under a sea of expensive yeah. And re- retailers are basically having problems trying to sell that to customers, so they don't want to get involved. Yeah, it's, it's a whole mess. It is. Speaking of mess, we have uh, another story. Um, this time we're talking about Pandasaurus Games. Um, there has been a deep dive report from critics side Dicebreaker, who have exposed a toxic work culture at publisher Pandasaurus Games. This is a game publisher based in Texas and run by married couple Molly Wardlow and Nathan McNair. They're well known for titles like Machikoro, Dinosaur Island, and That Time You Killed Me. Now, seven former employees, contract, and freelance workers spoke to Dicebreaker for the piece. The overview is that the vast majority of problems at the company are caused by a combination of absentee management with occasional moments of being excruciatingly involved in the tiniest detail, i.e. micromanagement. Inability to pay employees and contracts on time was raised as one of the major issues the company had. This apparent lesser-fair attitude to payment did not extend the other direction when it came to Pandasaurus chasing payment from distributors that owed them. This attitude was attributed to the couple's inability to relinquish power, coupled with a flagrant disregard for their own responsibilities. The sources went on to say that these twin problems turned minor issues into dire emergencies and brought projects to a screeching halt. Decisions would go unmade for weeks or months on end, leaving projects teetering on the point of collapse until eventually permission was given. One source said, and I quote, they don't realize how awful it is not to be able to get an approval on something for weeks and be stuck tearing your hair out because you're missing a deadline that they have set for you and knowing that you're going to be get in trouble for it. This was coupled with the owners demanding to know why projects were behind schedule, seemingly unable to realize that the problems came from the top, i.e. them. The workers who spoke to Dicebreaker said that months on end of this attitude led to mental and physical health breakdowns. Some maintained work appearances, but others had months-long depressive episodes. The graphic design team at Pandasaurus bore the brunt of the owner's neglect and were consistently under crunch conditions to get project over the finish line on time. Dicebreaker confirmed a nearly 200% turnover of staff since 2020. The sort of numbers you might expect from fast-paced retail or the fast food industry, not a small board game publisher. Those that spoke to Dicebreaker said that anyone who left the company was often a scapegoat for the ongoing problems that Pandasaurus were experiencing. One said, and I quote again, it's always someone's fault and they love to retroactively blame people who are gone. Because then not only is it not their fault, but they also don't have to work at fixing it because the problem, that person, is not here anymore. 
We would urge you to read the whole article that makes one interesting, if uncomfortable, read. And there's a link in the uh, podcast notes. Pandasaurus did respond to Dicebreaker's request for comment, and they said, and again, I quote, Pandasaurus Games denies any allegation of a toxic work environment. Our employees are offered unlimited PTO, mental health days, and sick days, and paid maternity and paternity leave. Our employees are also provided with company-paid benefits, including dental insurance, vision insurance, health insurance, and life insurance. The uh, comment goes on, After reviewing our records, I can confirm that our team members took an average of 18.75 paid days off in the last 12 calendar months, not counting 12 paid holidays. I can also confirm that during the time frame in question, our team had an average of 3.3 sent emails per day, 22.6 Slack channel posts per day, and closed 2.7 tasks per day in our project management software. The system access, email access, and Slack messages sent after hours by team members ranged from between 1% to 4% of the total amount of work performed, according to a review of company records. Worth noting that designer John Gilmer, who designed Dinosaur Island amongst other games for the company, posted the Dicebreaker article to Twitter saying only, and I quote, retweeting without further comment at this point. So... Here is obviously another company with a toxic work environment, not the first we heard about and probably not the last. And I understand that obviously when the small company is under economic pressure and other things going on in the world, that uh, you know the business in this case consisting of two or the management consisting of two people also have, you know, are stressed and trying to get things out the door. But this is obviously beyond just two people being stressed and letting that out on their staff. And of course, you know, if, if they need to work hard because they're running the company, they can't force their sort of worth ethic on, on their own staff. So, yeah, I think it's a terrible situation. Yeah, absolutely. And that that response to the Dicebreaker article is like an Excel spreadsheet is responding to what, what's being said. It's just, it's just data and it's just numbers. There's no humanity in there at all. It's horrible. Yeah. I don't get it at all. It's like an AI has produced that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not going to accept going, you know, we have sent an average of 3.3 emails per day. You can send all the emails you like. If you're not, yeah. you know, getting work, getting work done and treating people humanely, respectfully and responsibly, that is your job. And I, it feels like I, it, it feels like I shouldn't have to say this, but I'll say it anyway, because, you know, it, it always bears worth repeating. We at the Giant Brain condemn crunch culture, condemn toxic work environments. And I say again and again, whenever this story comes up, the tabletop game industry always says that we are a welcoming, inclusive and supportive industry. And yet again, we see other examples of, but we're not. 200% turnover since 2020. 200%. 200%. Yeah, I understand things are very difficult. I understand things are very difficult for a lot of people. But also using them as using people who are leaving as a scapegoat for problems. Sort it out. I, I work for a small business in Edinburgh, a bike shop, and I think we might have hit 200% over the seven years I've worked for the company, just people coming and going, if you counted it like that. Yeah, but you, but you don't, I assume you don't enforce crunch culture. I assume you yeah. don't you know, leave, yeah, leave decisions for weeks or months at an end. Sorry, I'm no, getting a then bit... Bi- then, then bikes don't get fixed. Exactly. Anyway, Jamie, uh, Embracer is losing it, losing its grip a bit. 
Embracer Group, the Swedish gaming giant that's been on a buying spree for the last couple of years, appears to be applying a little foot to the brakes. One of the companies it bought, relevant to this podcast, was Asmodee, the gaming behemoth that was mentioned earlier, which is why you'll be hearing about a lot of them on this podcast. Now, to give you an idea of the kind of size of Embracer Group, it has 132 gaming studios with 15,700 employees across 40 countries. Now, Embracer Group recently cut its earnings forecast and said it was looking at a special review of the business that could result in, and I quote, spin-offs into separate publicly listed companies. If that is deemed to be the best for its employees, create higher shareholder value and improve our strategic flexibility. The company's share price fell 14% on the announcement of the new forecasts, and it's unclear at this time exactly what Embracer will do to ease its balance sheet. Now, Sticking with Asmodee for a second, Asmodee sales were up in the July to September quarter for this year, up 9% on the previous year, which is up to $309 million. Asmodee themselves said it believes the tabletop games market in its territories was up 7%, and that Asmodee is increasing its market share in those territories. Asmodee said it believed the tabletop games market in its territories were up 7%, and that Asmodee is increasing its market share in those territories. A little nugget tucked away in those reportings is that the acquisition of Dark Horse, at the same time as Asmodee by Embracer Group, is closer to bearing collaborative fruit, with 25 video game projects using Asmodee intellectual properties being looked at. Now, this sort of kind of dry, boring financial news might have you yawning and reaching for the off button, but the amount of publishers that Asmodee owns and is under their umbrella is huge. And so these... These steps taken by Embracer are going to affect it all the way down. You'd almost say it's some sort of trickle-down economics. Oak. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, I hated myself for saying it, but I'm saying it. But yeah, of course, obviously, if, if the top company like Embracer you know, is struggling or making certain decisions, as you say, all the companies uh, it has bought and it controls are affected by that. So it is something to keep an eye out. In, and as you say, you know, it, it seems like way away from a hobby but it's probably more direct in in ways that we don't quite see yet and maybe we won't see for a little while but i think you know that there will happen so yeah so it's certainly a story to keep an eye on we'll see it in game prices one way or the other yeah for sure for sure enough of the headlines on to the news I'm the Hasbro guy this cast, apparently. At the top of the cast, we were looking at the problems affecting that particular company, and they are owners of Wizards of the Coast, of course, who are the publishers of Magic the Gathering. Now, it seems like Wizards are stomping down on one of the sites that folk have used for a long time to make proxies for the game. For those not familiar, certain formats of Magic the Gathering organized play are tolerant of the use of proxies for play, especially in legacy formats which can utilize cards from basically the entire history of the game and whose cards are either incredibly expensive or just absolutely impossible to get your hands on. Or both. One of the sites that would produce cards for this format was called Card Conjurer. It has recently received a cease and desist to take down the site and stop operation. There's a long post on the Card Conjurer site that we all link to. The most relevant part is at the top of the post, written by the site's creator, Kyle Burton. I'll now quote from that. On November 3rd, 2022, I received a cease and desist for Card Conjurer. Today, November 18th, I'm taking it down. I wish there was another way. I tried everything I could. The fact is, Wizards wants it down, and so I must comply. I initially received an email from Reynolds Law requesting that I take down my website because it uses copyrighted and trademark material from Wizards of the Coast. 
I responded by explaining my situation and how I believe that Card Conjurer respected the fan content policy. I also asked why Card Conjurer is being CND'd, but not other custom card creators that don't provide Wizards copyright notice, put card frames behind paywalls, have been around longer, and have more users. I was told that Wizards enforces its right as it deems appropriate. The post goes on to list the details the attorney gave to Kyle about the nature of the violations. Kyle has decided to not fight the notice and has taken the site down and made any of the code that was available on GitHub private so that no one else can use it. Kyle does make the point in a Twitter thread that the Magic the Gathering community had embraced proxies on the recent announcement of the Magic the Gathering 30th Anniversary Edition. Was this the 30th Anniversary Edition that had cards for several hundred dollars? I believe that's one of the things that has brought the attention of uh, Hasbro's investors to uh, in a bit more laser focus. One of the bits in the analysis that I didn't mention was that the analysis we... Uh, mentioned earlier did say that that was a particularly egregious one uh, i think it's like something like a thousand dollars for the potential of getting a reprinted black lotus yes or something of that ilk yeah it's a lot yeah but I, I mean i don't know what this is i don't know whether this is more evidence that hasbro are leaning on the magic gathering cash cow or they're just putting imitators out to pasture or uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is exactly but it's not great i mean that that site's been around for a long time i wasn't aware ever aware of it but it seems to have a long history in the community and it does seem a bit mean-spirited considering the legacy formats of magic who knows they have their right to enforce their copyright as they see fit it's their intellectual property after all it is yep that is true true too i don't agree with it but and I suppose it's a sort of selective approach as well that they're you know choosing some sites and not others. But there we go. It is. Maybe they're firing a warning shot by taking that site down. Maybe. Yeah. Simple if target. It's, if, if it's a big one, yeah. Certainly I mean, not very yeah. diplomatic, I would say. Well, uh, if I may not. lead on to the next thing. <laughs> you may do. Because <laughs> awesome. next headline is about AI diplomacy. We've reported many times on the steps being made by AI to conquer the world of tabletop gaming. Now a new challenge has emerged to take on that friendship-ending game, Diplomacy. Uh, there's a press release from Meta AI, which I'm reading from now. Meta AI presents Cicero, which is all caps, so I presume it stands for something very long-winded, probably something AI in there. But anyway, Meta AI presents Cicero, the first AI to achieve human-level performance in Diplomacy, a strategy game which requires building trust, negotiating and cooperating with multiple players. Cicero demonstrated this by playing on webdiplomacy.net, an online version of the game, where it achieved more than double the average score of the human players and ranked to the top 10% of participants who played more than one game. Diplomacy requires players to master the art of understanding other people's motivations and perspectives, make complex plans and adjust strategies, and then use natural language to reach agreements with other people, convince them to form partnerships and alliances, and more. Cicero is so effective at using natural language to negotiate with the people in diplomacy that they often favoured working with Cicero over other human participants. The press release goes on to say, The key to our achievement was developing new techniques at the intersection of two completely different areas, strategic reasoning and natural language processing. Cicero can deduce, for example, that later in the game it will need the support of one particular player, and then craft a strategy to win that person's favor, and even recognize the risks and opportunities that the player sees from the particular point of view. They've uh, open-sourced uh, the code and published a paper 
So you can also visit the CICERO website, and we're going to put a link in the show notes for that to learn more about the project and see that uh, system in action. And I was quite interested by this article. Obviously, the claims, I, I don't know how true they are or not, but just the idea that here's an AI that not just you know does the usual of being very good at playing a game and calculating different options and, you know, building a decision tree to decide what is the best, you know, choice that they can make on their turn. You know, we know computers are getting more powerful and better at beating other players like in chess. We've seen that. But now we have something that actually uses natural language processing, i.e. actually tries to work out how they can convince a human player to ally with that computer to win the game eventually. And as I say, the press release says that apparently players favor the Cicero system over human players. So very interesting development on that side. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating stuff. I mean, yeah, <laughs> don't know what to say about that. And it sounds slightly scary in terms of like AI development. Uh, but yeah, wow. I mean, again, get a diplomacy is really, really hard. If, if, if you're not familiar with diplomacy, there are almost no like mechanical rules in diplomacy. It is really all down to negotiation and betraying people and forming alliances and then breaking those alliances just at the right time to to get the advantage you need so yeah it's a, betraying people ian how could you <laughs> Trail. I, I, it's, it's one of those games it's not a game like chess that has like a bunch of predictable moves yeah. that's what i'm trying to say it, it, it all it's very very open what can happen in a game of diplomacy so yes yeah, fascinating yeah, so maybe one day we'll see AI opponents playing Avalon or some sort of other social deduction games. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you we're, could argue that there is, a large, there is a large social deduction element in diplomacy itself, and it's working yeah, out. Yeah, for sure. Not exactly. in, maybe not in the traditional way. Just reminding people, diplomacy came out in 1959. Yeah, this game is... Amazing, yeah. Oh, game has some longevity. 63 years old? Yes. Anyway, Jamie, I noticed you're wearing a large hat. I mean, I am wearing a hat, but it's also time for me to put on my awards hat. Yes. Last podcast, we were going to cover the Dicebreaker Tabletop Awards, but we were a bit late to inform you about your chance to get your nominations in by the time episode 110 went out. This is a new set of awards hosted by critical site Dicebreaker, and now they have announced the finalists for these inaugural awards. The categories... Seven categories, best board game, best RPG, best ongoing card game, interesting one, designer of the year, publisher of the year, and the rising star award for both designers and publishers. There's a lot of names on this list we don't recognize, which is a great way to use awards like this in order to draw attention to games, designers, and publishers that may be flying under the radar of the wider hobby, lift some of those people up. Ian, I know you and Oliver had had a look at the finalists, and you've got a couple of notable names games that you want to 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 shout out go ahead i have not played any of the games that are nominated so i am sitting out for this nomination so, uh, as is traditional for our, our, our awards pieces yeah as, i mean yeah. i i haven't played much in there to be honest i play flamecraft uh, i just bought flamecraft today actually uh it's rather good what's flamecraft um, about ian so Flamecraft is a board game for like one to five players where basically you're making a little town happen. You start off with these shops and the core mechanic of the game is you have these little dragons that go around and help people in their shops. So like they might go and help in the bakery or the uh, smith or something like that. And when you put dragons into them, they do stuff, uh, like manipulate the board and do stuff. And effectively you get points for basically making your town better and helping people out. 
it's Lovely. really really charming it's really really charming Beautiful. but yeah I, I am curious as it's been in there because it is literally just out this week so for the 2022 awards it seems a bit odd and it's also still 2022 yeah but like what happens to games that come out in december as Oliver was pointing out just before we started the cast. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. strange one. And there's the in best role-playing game, there's Avatar Legends in there, which is only just out or not quite out. It's in preview, I think, right now. And get It did very out. well on Kickstarter. It did very well on Kickstarter, though. Yeah, it did. That, but as we all know, doing well on Kickstarter isn't actually a, <laughs> in the gear of a good game. <laughs> Why not? Uh, we could name many, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, there's Lord of the Rings card game revised core set is in there. I was a bit... Uh, that's an interesting one because I, th- I think the Arkham core set came out this year, but I guess Lord of the Rings coming back is maybe a bit more of a thing. A bunch of designer and publisher names I don't know in there, so I'm going to check those out because, yeah, that's a nice yeah. way to draw attention to those folk. Uh, for yourself, Oliver? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with the inclusion of Flamecraft. You've got also Undaunted Stalingrad, which I think is just shipping to customers at the moment. So, yeah, um, again, it's just funny to see games being nominated for awards that uh, haven't really been available to the public yet. So there we go. But I also find interesting uh, Crescent Moon in there. Uh, it's a game that has a minimum of four players, uh, goes up to five, so four to five players. So getting that to the table has been very hard for myself to actually get it to review. So again, interesting that that's on there as as a nominee. Uh, and then what is actually good to see, though, is the Rise and Star categories, as I say, for designers and publishers. So there is some fresh blood, if I may call it that, in, in our industry. Um, there's also more representation. So I looked at some of the names of the designers. So we have, for example, Connor Alexander. He was a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. We've got Lottie, uh, Lottie Hazel, is a British designer from Warwickshire. She is the co-founder of Birdwood Games. So, uh, you know, female designer there. Mabel Harper is a tabletop RPG designer and makes queer indie pop music as Don't Do It, Neil. And then, and I'm sure I'm going to mess that last name up, it's Viditya Voletti, uh, a queer POC game designer. So, yeah, wide variety, uh, different different backgrounds and everything. Yeah, it's, it's always nice to see a new award sort of like using its power, for want of a better word, to like highlight different designers and, and more interesting designers and a wide variety of designers. Great stuff. Yes. Yes. Yep. It's also, they have... Congratulations to all the nominees, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Congratulations okay. to all the nominees. We will, I'm sure... Uh, run a story about the winners when they are announced. Dicebreaker have just announced the judges for the Tabletop Awards, which include all six members of the Dicebreaker team. Anna Blackwell, who I believe, Ian, you have an interview with on the Giant Brain website. I do indeed. We have Quanche Maria, who is an artist who I absolutely love his art. You may have seen it for games such as Dinosaur Island or the rework of Sidereal Confluence and Cryptid. Matt Thrower, who I know Ian has done some stuff with. Yeah, and uh, Lindsay Rose, co-owner of Rose Gauntlet Entertainment. Nice varied mix, which is what we want to see. Yep. Congratulations to all the nominees, and no doubt we'll be talking about the winners when those come out. We are exactly the sort of cast that will mention real-world politics from time to time. Sorry about that, but only, of course, as it pertains to the tabletop hobby. The last two years have seen a boom in the hobby and also major disruption as publishers and distributors struggle with logistical challenges across the globe. As we move into the festive season, when many retailers will see their yearly sales peak, it seems that more disruption can be expected both in the UK and US. In the UK, both rail services and postal services are to be disrupted by strike action as unions fight for a better deal for their members. 
Postal strikes are going to be running right up till Christmas. So yeah, do be wary of that if you are posting stuff out last minute to relatives across the UK, folks. The UK is not alone in this type of action. In the States, the National Retail Federation is appealing to Congress to prevent a nationwide rail strike planned for the 8th of December. This was after the largest of 12 rail unions rejected a new contract on Monday the 21st of November. Eight of the 12 unions have accepted the new contract, but all unions will respect picket lines, so if any of them reject it, it will effectively bring a halt to the movement of freight trains across the states. This could lead to up to 7,000 freight trains per day not moving. The unions rejecting the deal cited issues relating to time off with workers concerned about grueling and unpredictable schedules. The cost of living crisis being experienced in the UK and across the world has led to wages feeling a lot tighter than they used to be. The response in the UK from our government has been to tighten the belt of the country when actually investment is the better way out of a crisis. Many retailers are going to suffer because of the short-term vision of our leaders. Down with them, basically. And yeah, we solidly stand with the unions on what they're trying to get for their workers. In Scotland today, on Thursday, we're recording on Thursday, the 24th of November, teachers are striking to try and get a better pay deal. And I think just announced today as well in the Scotland was a better pay deal for health workers, which was good. That's been accepted by the union. Primary teachers, secondary teachers, university lecturers, coffin makers uh, were striking today. I was at the rally. This is why I could remember no, this. Coffin makers. Yes. Uh, no, they were they were striking. They were there as part of a solidarity. Uh, with the EIS, the Educational Institute of Scotland. There was the Postal Workers Union. There was Fire Brigades Union, who I don't think are on strike right now, but they are moving towards it. Yeah, I think in England, uh, the teachers are striking on Wednesday, as far as I know. So yeah, strikes everywhere around the UK. And um, as a German citizen living in the UK, um, there's lots I have to say about our government Um I say our government, <laughs> your government. Um, yeah. But I don't think I have time for that in the cast. So, um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure Ian could do an extended <laughs> podcast. If, uh, if he, if he that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole different podcast, I think. Yeah. Well, moving, moving on to the next story then. We have Long Tail Games going part-time. Long Tail Games are an RPG publisher who are currently crowdfunding a brazen crown. The team behind Long Tail Games also run Cardboard Monster and Experimental Tabletop Games Retailer. They tweeted, and I quote, Folks, as of next week, I won't be doing games full-time. The chart below explains why, as well as my increasing fear that we're heading for interesting times in world history. The tweet doesn't give any more details on that decision, but the graph shows uh, huge swings in profits and losses that the company has to deal with for a project just to break even. It is clear that there's a lot of stress and pressure. Huge swings in profit and loss will affect cash flow probably. So yeah, I, I can see why by someone is sort of saying this is probably enough for now and going back to something that maybe is a bit more reliable and consistent when it comes to income. Yeah, I mean, making board games is hard as it is and yeah, doing like crowdfunding campaigns and, and not knowing what's going to happen with, we've obviously seen Lots of publishers struggling and, and lots of crowdfunding campaigns struggling when the sort of shipping prices were going up and things. So I'm not surprised that uh, Long Tail Games is sort of going down the same route of maybe calling a day, at least for now. Yeah, lots of small publishers struggling. And I think we'll hear more about that kind of thing over the coming years as um, logistics continues to be a bit of a nightmare, unfortunately. Yeah. Best of luck to them in the future. Yeah, let's hope we can see them again in the future at some point. 
we don't have a lot of jobs, opportunities, and events this time around. The only thing we've got for you is that Scott from Minerva Games drew our attention to a little crowdfunding campaign that has been run for a game shop that is local to him that has been unfortunately broken into a couple of times recently. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, and if you feel like helping out, please go and visit and uh, chuck a few bucks their way to help them get them back on their feet. And folks who like to get us back on our feet are our lovely, lovely patrons. Thank you for continuing to support the cast, especially James Naylor and Sean Newman. Uh, they are executive producers. We'll link to James and Sean's bits and pieces in the show notes. You can join them for just $1 a month, uh, and you can support us in a variety of other ways, including buying dice from Metallic Dice Games. Uh, you can use promo code Roll of Brains to get a discount there, and we get a bit of a cut. And Sir Meeple also produce a lovely t-shirts, and you can put, wear those and show your pride for your favorite podcast. Because that's us, right? Of course it is. Definitely. <laughs> and in a week's time, um, you'll find another podcast in your feed, which will be my final on-stage interview of the year. That was with Flavian Lucier, who is the current general manager of Hatchet Board Games UK. We'd also like to draw your attention before we move to our outro uh, to a little article on Polygon about the boom and bust or Kickstarter cycle. Really interesting read about how some... Uh, companies now find themselves basically trapped in the crowdfunding cycle, even if they don't particularly want to be anymore. So yeah, go and give that a read. Really good piece of work. Piece of work. But Jamie, what are you cooking me for dinner? You're coming around tomorrow night, right? And you're cooking me for dinner out of this book. I am coming around tomorrow night, actually. This is yeah. not even a bit. I am coming around. Uh, I'm not going to cook you anything. I'm getting something on the train or for the train. But maybe next year I'll cook you something because there is further developments for what I am calling the CLU. That is the Catan Literary Universe. That is the announcement of a Catan cookbook from Ulysses Press. I know you didn't know you wanted it and here it is. Alexander TM, Asmodee Entertainment Licensing Manager, said, This cooperation is something we wanted to do for a long time and I'm very excited that with the Ulysses team we found such a passionate partner. Having seen the first ideas for the books, I'm absolutely sure that fans of both gaming brands will love these books. With tens of millions of active players in North America alone, these books will find themselves in a great many kitchens and on a great many coffee tables before too long. The book itself will include original recipes which will, according to ICV2, expand the world of Catan to a culinary level. Expected, at least in America, in the spring of 2023. So what recipes are going to be? My first thought is lamb cooked in a tandoor because then you've got the wool you've got the wood or lumber depending on who you are you've got the brick forming the clay oven of the tandoor nice oh, no, that's way too much i just like to concentrate on expand the world of Catan to a culinary <laughs> level what on earth does that even mean ian you've played Catan. now you can eat Catan while you play Catan. Maybe and it's read. a cookbook where you have to make each of the hexes and then like... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Things. Catan yeah. cake. That's what we yeah. want. Ooh. I've seen Catan cakes and they're pretty cool. Catan cakes are good show. <laughs> yeah. So whatever next? Are we going to have Catan the musical? Is that what's left now? We've done books oh. and cookbooks and... I expect a game show. Well, E1 is getting sold maybe, so maybe yeah. we won't see a game show. I don't know. We've, we have had so much for Catan. I mean, how long before we see a board game-based reality TV show? Uh, I mean, we kind of have in The Genius in South Korea, but... Yeah, I I was just remembering that one as I said it out loud. It's like, I I know there was one, or something kind of similar. Yeah. 
Anyway, folks, thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. Uh, you can where can you where can we follow you, Oliver? Before I go to me, I think the easiest if you go to tabletopgamesblog.com. The links are all there on the blog. So yeah, just go there. Fantastic. I'll put a link to that in our show notes, of course. And you can come and join us on our Discord. There'll be an invite in the show notes. You can find us on Twitter, for now, Instagram and Facebook. And our website is giantbrain.co.uk and our email is giantbrainuk at gmail.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with more news. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye.